0: Yeah, good morning. Our Bible reading comes in two parts today. Firstly, from Galatians 5 and verses 16 to 25, and then I'll be reading from the letter of John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Galatians 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Dear friends, let us love each other, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. My name is Adam. If uh, we haven't met, I'm part of the team here, and it's great to see you this morning because today we kick off a, a brand new sermon series that we've called A Beautiful Life Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is it that makes a life beautiful? What makes someone compelling and attractive? Is it the way they look? what they wear, where they live, what they own, their job, I think we'd all admit it goes a little bit deeper than that. That what makes someone truly beautiful, what makes them truly compelling and truly attractive is who they are, their character. The truth is, character is one of the most important things about us. Your character will determine, in large part, the quality of your life. Your job, your relationships, your marriage, your spiritual life. So much hinges on your character, how you conduct yourself. And this is what we're talking about in this series. We're exploring what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. The list of those virtues and characteristics that we just read in Galatians chapter 5. These virtues essentially describe Christian character. Because when you place your faith in Jesus, God places his spirit in your heart. And God begins to transform you from the inside out. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. They all begin to show on the branches of your life. Now, this list that that Paul gave us, it describes Christian character, but of course the list is not exhaustive. For example, Paul does not mention humility or compassion or or contentment or, or gratitude, which are all an important part of Christian character. Nor is this list kind of like a menu, where you can pick and choose which fruit you like and you don't like, which kind of more naturally uh, gravitates towards your inclinations. I mean, did you notice that they're not called the fruits of the Spirit, but rather the fruit of the Spirit? All of these things grow in our life. God is bringing them to bear in our hearts and in our lives, and we can't just pick and choose which one we like and we don't like. And when you put all of these fruits together, they give us a beautiful picture of the Christian life, a life that is being transformed by God's spirit. In fact, one of my hopes for us in doing this series is that we might not fear the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because when the Holy Spirit is truly present in our lives, he does not make us into religious nut jobs. He makes us... Beautiful. He transforms us. He infuses us with God's life and he grows the fruit of God's character within us. Now, this tells us something really, really important about Christianity. And maybe you've never realized this before. Christianity is not about keeping rules, it's about bearing fruit. Let me say it again, Christianity is not about keeping rules, it is about bearing fruit. Now, it's not that rules and laws are wrong, I mean, they're good. God himself gave us rules and laws. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and there were no laws anymore. It might sound a little bit appealing, but the result would be anarchy. In fact, has anyone had to read uh, this novel by William Golding? Maybe you had to read it at school, I know I did. It's called Lord of the Flies. It tells the story of this group of English schoolboys. They're actually choir boys. And they've received the best education in England. But they end up stranded on a desert island with no adult supervision. And so they have to work out how to get along, how to form a functioning society, and I bet you know how it ends. It ends in a bloodbath. Poor piggy. I still think about him today. The Bible invites us to imagine a world where we all want to do what is right. Not because the rules tell us to, but because we have been so changed deeply within. We have become so different that that difference flows out of our hearts into our lives. And this is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. It describes the outward result of an inward change. It defines the fruits that will grow on the branches of our lives when the seed of God's Spirit is planted within us. Now, why are we devoting nine weeks to to studying the fruit of the Spirit? Why are we kicking off the year uh, with this sermon series? Well, the simple answer is, we all want our lives to be more beautiful. We all want to be more filled with God's Spirit. We all want to be more reflective of God's character, and we all want to be more attractive to the world around us. I mean, did any of us start this new year thinking, I'd really like my life to become more unattractive? I'd really like to grow in sexual immorality and impurity. I'd really love to become more hateful, more bitter, more envious, more jealous and angry. I don't think any of us thought that. But I'm sure that we could all do with more fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I'm sure we'd all like to to grow in love and in goodness. I'm sure we'd all like to become more patient, especially when we're driving. Or maybe that's just me. More kind, more gentle, more self-controlled. The good news of this passage and the good news of the Bible is that we can. Even though it might not feel like it. I mean, maybe when you heard the the list being read just a moment ago, you actually started to feel this vague sense of guilt and shame. Maybe you started to feel a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit hopeless, because you know how far you fall short of this list. It's actually kind of like the story I read this week about the little boy who was disappointed in the size of the egg that his chicken had laid. It was tiny, tiny. So he we went to the store, he came back with a parcel, he sat down in front of the, the chook pen, he unwrapped the parcel and he held an ostrich egg in front of the chicken. And he said, take a look at this and try harder. Now, for honest, this is how some of us feel about the fruit of the Spirit, as if God is placing this list in front of us and saying, take a look at this and try harder. But it's not called the fruit of our effort, is it? It's not called the fruit of our hard work. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of His presence within us. And the fact is, we have as much chance of growing His fruit in our lives as the chicken had of laying an ostrich egg apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, imagine if you wanted to plant a mango tree in your backyard. That's a good thing to do. Mangoes are delicious. Now, unless you plant a mango seed in the ground, it doesn't matter how good your soil is, it doesn't matter how much you water it, it doesn't matter how much fertilizer you use, there ain't going to be no mango tree in your backyard. Now, it's the same for us. If the fruit of the Spirit is to grow in our lives, it doesn't begin with our strength, it doesn't begin with our hard work, it begins with the presence of God's Spirit. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we have nothing to do as if we just kind of sit back and and let God do his thing. I mean, if we all grew automatically, simply by the presence of God's spirit in our life, then we would all grow at the same pace, wouldn't we? But we don't. You see, we need to cooperate with God's spirit. Think about the mango tree again. If you want a mango tree in your backyard, you need to start with the seed. But once you plant that seed, you don't then walk away and never look at it again. You need to water it. You need to fertilize it. You need to cultivate it if you want a tree with lots of mangoes on it. And this is why the subtitle for this series is Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. This is what we want to do in our lives and in our church. We want to pay attention to our hearts. We want to pay attention to our lives. We don't just want to drift on spiritual autopilot. We want to cultivate good habits so that we can grow in the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives and in our church. Now, what does that look like exactly? Well, Paul puts it really well in verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, since we've been made alive by God's Spirit, since we've come to know God, what are we to do? Keep in step with the Spirit. Now, to keep in step with the Spirit literally means to follow the footsteps, to follow the lead of the Spirit. It's kind of like dancing. Now, I'm not much of a dancer, but I'm led to believe that if a dance is to be beautiful, if it is to be effective, then one dancer must follow and the other must lead. It's never really worked out well for me. It's the same when it comes to our Christian life. We are to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. We have to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Now I hear you asking, well, what does that mean practically? What does that look like in my life? Well, this might sound disappointing to you, but there is no mystical secret and there is no fancy technique. We keep in step with the Spirit through everyday ordinary faithfulness. We feast on the Spirit-inspired words of the Bible. We lean on the Spirit's help as we pray. We sing spiritual songs. We gather with other Spirit-filled believers. In fact, did you notice that all the fruit of the Spirit are relational? They are the result of God's presence in our life, but they grow in the context of relationships. I mean, how can you love if there's no one around to love? How can you grow in patience if your patience is never tested by testing people? How can you learn kindness, gentleness, or goodness unless there are people for you to be kind, gentle, and good towards? The fruit of the Spirit grow in the context of relationships. And if we want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we don't need to retreat to a mountain. We don't need to learn some mystical, fancy technique. We do it by keeping in step with God's Spirit, by reading the Bible, by turning to God in prayer, by singing to God, and by gathering with God's people. And friends, this is a lifelong process. The fruit of the Spirit do not grow or ripen overnight, as much as we might like them to. It takes a lifetime for them to grow, and they do not stop growing until our earthly lives are over. And we are glorified in the presence of God. Now, I really think that this should encourage you. Because though you might not be where you want to be yet, your story is not over. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your present situation is. Your future can be more fruitful than your past. Because God is with you and God's spirit is at work in you. That's good news. Now, if I was to summarise what we've learnt so far about the fruit of the Spirit, I would say that the fruit of the Spirit reflect God's character. They come from God. They flow from God's presence. They're the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. They grow by our cultivation, by our attention, and by us cultivating good habits. And they ripen over a lifetime. And I'm going to leave those on the screen in case anyone wants to jot them down, because these are important building blocks to have in place as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit in coming weeks. Now, as Nathaniel mentioned, I hope that you have a copy of the Growth Group Guide. Please take advantage of this resource. There is also a family worship section you'll find in there, some devotions for you to do with your children. Please take advantage of that to be able to disciple and to help your children grow in their relationship with God. And actually, our kids are doing the fruit of the Spirit this term in kids' church as well. So what a perfect opportunity to have a conversation with your kids in the car on the way home today. So this is where we're going in the next few weeks, and today, we're going to begin by talking about the first fruit on the list, love. Now, it's actually only going to be half a sermon, because I've taken half the sermon introducing the series, but... In actual fact, this is incredibly important. Now, it was the Beatles who sang, All You Need Is Love. And you know what? They weren't far wrong. Because when the Apostle Paul turns to to write this list, that's Paul from the Bible, not Paul McCartney. When when he gives us this list in Galatians 5, he puts love at the front, because it is the greatest and the most important of the fruit. In fact, the rest of the fruit are really expressions of Here's the way that Donald Barnhouse, who was a Presbyterian minister, put it. And I think this is just beautiful. He says, Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's truth. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love being the rains. Love is the source from which all the other fruit flow. And this is why it's so important for us to understand and to grow in love. But I think we have a problem. And that is the word love has become so overused in our day that it's almost become emptied of its meaning. For example, I can quite honestly say to you, I love cricket, I love burgers, I love my parents, I love my kids, I love my wife, I love all of you, but the word doesn't quite mean the same thing. I mean, I don't love cricket in the same way that I love my wife. I love my wife more, just to be clear, in a different way. So the question we have to answer is, what kind of love is Paul referring to here in Galatians 5? What kind of love does the fruit of God's Spirit grow in our life? And of course, to answer this question, we need to look to God. See, We don't look at ourselves, we don't look at the world, we don't look at anything else to get our definition of love. We look to God. Why? Because we heard just a moment ago in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. It's not just that God loves, it's that God is love. Because from the very beginning, from eternity past, God has existed in a loving relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love. And if we want to understand love, if we want to grow in love, we need to know what that means. And we need to know how God loves us. Now to say that God is love and to say that God loves us, that's not a very controversial thing to say today. I mean, most people assume that if there is a God, it's his job to love us. But it's when we talk about how God loves us that we can get a little bit fuzzy on the details. I mean, some people assume that God loves us by making us healthy, wealthy and happy. And so in that instance, God's love is measured by our circumstances. Life is good, God must love me. Life is not good, God mustn't love me. Other people assume that God loves us only if we keep the rules and make him happy. In that instance, God's love is measured by our obedience. I'm good, God loves me. I'm not good, God mustn't love me. Other people assume that God loves us unconditionally. It doesn't matter how we relate to God, it doesn't matter what we think of God, everything will just kind of work out in the end. Now and that is since God's love is measured by our blind assumptions. So we really need to know, how does God love us? Thankfully, John tells us very clearly in verses 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love among us. You want to know that God loves you? This is what you need to know. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live Through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How should God's love be measured? By the cross. How do we know that God loves us? Because he sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sin and our rebellion and to give us the gift of life with God now and forever. And it's not because we're so lovable. I hate to break it to you. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we even wanted it. It's because of God. I mean, John says not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God comes to a world of rebels. God comes to those who don't love him, who aren't good, and who aren't loving one another. And he gives everything to them. He does everything for them. That is love. I mean, what more could the God of love give to us? He's given us his only son. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? Really? Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at if you're healthy, wealthy or happy. Don't even look at your obedience. Look at Christ on the cross. Look at what God has done for you in Jesus And when you see that, when you behold the love of God displayed in the death of Jesus, that leads you into a life of love. A life of love for God and a life of love for other people. In fact, this is what John goes on to say in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The proof that we truly know the love of God, it's the way that we love other people. It's not just that we come to church and that we pray. It's how we treat other people. It's how we talk about other people. It's how we serve other people. Even people who are really hard to love. I mean, Jesus once said, love your enemies. Now that is totally impossible to do unless you see that you too were once an enemy of God but that he loved you. So we need to ask this question, am I loving others? How am I loving others? I asked myself that question this week, and it's fair to say there's some room for improvement. I mean, it's not easy to love others selflessly and sacrificially, but this is how God has loved us, and this is how we are called to love one another. As I close, I just want to ask the question, How can we grow in love? You know, it's not enough for us to just talk about love. We need to pursue love. We need to cultivate love. We need to put love into action. So what does that mean? What what does that look like? How do we do that? Let me put it as simply as I can. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of other people. We need to think about what they might need. And then we need to do something about it. Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put yourself in the shoes of other people. Imagine what it would be like to be them, what you would like to receive if you were them, and then do that for them. Give that to them. So to love others is going to take imagination, it's going to take empathy. Imagine yourself as a refugee to this country. Imagine yourself grieving the loss of a loved one. Imagine yourself as a social outcast. Imagine yourself with a debilitating illness. Imagine yourself with a devastating past. Imagine yourself in financial difficulty. We need to think about what other people need and then do something about it. That's love. And you know, I heard a story this week about a young minister. He lived with his young family on the church property and he said there was an older gentleman in the church that they just didn't get along very well. They just didn't really like each other. They'd had some disagreements. But one day, this older gentleman noticed that the back gate of the minister's house was broken. And he was worried about the kids getting out and getting on, out onto the road. So one day, without being asked, this older gentleman showed up with his toolbox and he fixed the gate. A simple, powerful act of love. Now, what about you? Who is God calling you to love this week? Who can you reach out to? Who can you put yourself in their shoes and then do something about it? We can't all do everything, but we can all do something. Our God is love. He has loved us in Christ far more than we deserve. And he is calling us to love one another in the same way. And imagine what a witness we would be if we were to all do this together. So let's do it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us so far beyond what we deserve. And it's not because of anything good in us, it's simply because you are good. You are love. And we see your love for us in the cross of the Lord Jesus. A love that loved us even to the point of death. And so Lord, as we behold the glory of Jesus, I ask and pray that you might move us to become a people that shares and shows that love to others. Oh Lord, fill us with your love so that we might love one another as you call us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church.